following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me. I apologize for that, but I think you'll find this a bit more interesting. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and I am sitting in my car with no shoes on. What are you doing? That's what I want to know. Hey, this is episode number 103, and I want to just make sure everybody is aware, give you plenty of time to prepare if you're in your underwear or if you just don't care about the state of your hair and the flare over there. Sometimes I get stuck in rhymes and I just can't get them out. Anyway, episode number 105. This is 103. Episode 105 will be the season finale of Just Another Fanboy, wrapping up season two. Then I'm going to take a break for maybe a month, maybe two, and then we'll come back with season three. Now, do not fear, my dear. Don't be sweating down your rear, scratching your ear and shedding a tear. You got to be cool like Richard Gere and understand that I am going to still be putting out content during the break. I'm going to be creating some bonus episodes, stuff that is you know, like some best of type things, throwing some stuff together from old recordings, you know, stuff that I don't have to put a lot of work into because I am supposed to be taking a break. I am supposed to be preparing for season three so that when season three hits you, it slaps you across the face like a great big fish. That's kind of the point of the break. It's to get back into the swing of things, to take a little breather and then dive back in with some hard hitting content that pierces you through the heart or not. Probably not. It's just be me talking about comics, you know, like normal. But before we get to all that, I want to talk about my boy, the Green Arrow. Now, I'm a big fan of the Green Arrow, but I kind of came to him late in life. When I was reading comics back in my teenage and preteen years, wasn't really, I read DC books, didn't read a lot of them. Green Arrow was not really my guy back then. I really didn't give much of a crap about the character. It wasn't until... Kevin Smith and Phil Hester and Andy Parks, and I don't know who colored it, they got together and they rebooted, kinda, sorta. They brought back Oliver Queen, Green Arrow. By that point, Connor Hawk, his son, was Green Arrow because Oliver Queen was dead, sacrificed himself to save the entire DC universe, and Kevin Smith figured out a way to bring him back. And I resisted that series for a long time. I was, I feel like I was reading comics when that series was coming out. And it wasn't until, I don't know, good Lord, it was, it was a few years later. I ended up getting it in trade. I don't remember if I bought it or I picked it up through the library, but it was, it was quite a while ago, but it was still a couple of years after the book had, had actually come out. And I think, I feel like after I got the trade, I know I started collecting Green Arrow by that point, and I think that Judd Winnick was on it at that point. I don't know if I jumped on a Green Arrow monthly book. I don't think Kevin Smith was on it. Kevin Smith was on there, and then Brad Meltzer was on there, and then Judd Winnick, and I believe, I feel like it was Judd Winnick when I picked it up. Anyway, the whole point I'm trying to make here is that Green Arrow is an example of One of these characters that is very near and dear to my heart and been a big fan for a long time, but I've never, ever, ever read their first appearance. Many characters, 
many characters that I love and enjoy. I've never read their first appearance. So I wanted to start doing a series of episodes called Firsts, in which I go back and I read the first appearance of some of my favorite characters and some characters that may not necessarily be my absolute tippy-top favorite, but characters that I enjoy all the same. And then I've I've never read their first appearance. And so in this case, I had to go all the way back to 1941 and and an issue of More Fun Comics, issue number 73. More Fun Comics was a anthology book by DC and issue 73 is rather special because not only do we get the first appearance of Green Arrow, we also get the first appearance of Johnny Quick and Aquaman. There were a number of tales in this book There was a Dr. Fate story called Mr. Who, a Radio Squad story called Murder Takes the Spotlight. Have really no idea who that is. The first appearance of Johnny Quick in a story called The Black Knight, a Clip Carson tale called Secret Mission in Honduras, The Spectre starred in The Vanishing Menaces, and Aquaman's first appearance, The Submarine Strikes. Now, the first appearance of Green Arrow, they handled it quite like the first appearance of Batman. If you've ever read Detective Comics number 27, they, the very first Batman story, he's already established. He's an established crime fighter. Everybody knows who he is. And it's just a, just, it's just a, a freaking adventure that he's going on. Well, that's the same thing with this issue here. We open up with an establishing shot of Green Arrow along with Speedy and they're doing their thing and they're taking out a bunch of gun-toting thugs. It's just one of these opening pages that's like, look, this is the guy that you're going to be reading about. And it's got a little text box that says, the Green Arrow and Speedy, wizard archers of the century, crush a cavalcade of crime when murder visits the history club and a mystery killer bequeaths strange dooms to the namesakes of famous men. That's that's our little teaser for the little tale that we are about to read. And I want to make special note of the exclamation points because that little freaking teaser there, strange dooms to the namesakes of famous men. You get two freaking exclamation points there. That's a big deal. So we start out, we see a mystery man in a black hat. He's wearing a purple cloak and he's got this white mask and he shoots a man named George Lincoln. He shoots him in the back in the man's own home as he sits and reads the paper. Abraham Lincoln died by the gun and so do you. That's my that's my villain voice for this guy. Next, the very same murderous mystery man hangs millionaire John Hale. The noose was good enough for your namesake, Nathan Hale. Then at the home of Anthony Caesar, the murderer strikes again, stabbing the oil tycoon to death. Julius Caesar died by the knife. The same to you. So yeah, (laughs) this really weird. He looks kind of like the shadow. He looks kind of like a low rent shadow. He's got a big hat. It's like a big floppy hat, big wide brimmed hat. And he's got this scarf like mask that covers his face. And he's got a purple cloak and he's just, he's just killing folk one after the other. And he's killing them in the same way as their historical namesakes were killed. The next day, we find Oliver Queen and Roy Harper, better known as the Green Arrow and Speedy, the Cyclone Kid, hanging in the apartment they share together. Okay, Speedy's a teenager. Oliver Queen is a grown man. Living together in an apartment. They don't mention, there's. it's not like Batman and Robin, where Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson is his ward. 
and they live together in this giant palatial mansion. No, it's an apartment, teenage boy and a man. So they're in their apartment. They're looking forward to a well-deserved vacation following the case of the golden mummy when, from a radio nearby, they hear a disturbing report. Newsflash! The police are still baffled by the mysterious murders of three members of the famous history club last night. No clues, etc., etc. That's not me paraphrasing. They actually put that in the comic book. No clues, etc., etc. Well, that's when the two spring into action. Well, that's all the two need to spring into action. They race through an underground tunnel, emerging into a secret garage and the fastest car on wheels, the aeroplane. <laughs> yeah, the aeroplane. Get it? Get it? Aeroplane? Aeroplane? Airplane? Get it? Now, eventually, this car would be renamed the Aeromobile. But I happen to like the aeroplane. It actually does look like an airplane with no wings. When they reach the history club, Speedy triggers a mechanism that launches Green Arrow from the car and through an upper floor window of the club. A window, I might add, that is closed. So he crashes through a freaking closed window, breaking and shattering the glass all over the place for no other reason than, as he puts it, it's a faster way than using the stairs. Of course, none of the surviving members of the club seem to mind, however, and they introduce themselves to Green Arrow. Ezra Sampson, the treasurer, Frank Darcy, the president, along with Amos Socrates and Leonard Achilles. The club is literally just dudes who all share names with historical figures. I mean, how does how does something like that get started? Hello, my name's Amos Socrates. Well, howdy, I'm Leonard Achilles. Well, hey, we both got names of famous people. We should start a club. Yeehaw! I should also point out here that Ezra Sampson, he's a short guy. I'm not just pointing that out because I like to point at people. Ha ha, look, he's short. Ha ha, look at him. Ha ha ha. No, that actually, it means something. We'll, we'll learn what that means later, but it's, it's a clue. Achilles tells Green Arrow that he is next in line to die. Not Green Arrow, Achilles. He's saying, hey, Green Arrow, uh, just so you're aware, uh, I'm next in line to die. I got a threat. And so, you know. I know that I'm next. And because Achilles, the historical Greek figure, who was apparently immortal and couldn't die by any means, he had his one weakness. He died by being stabbed in the heel. That's why they, that's where the Achilles heel thing comes from. But don't worry though, Leonard, Leonard Achilles, knowing that these other guys died the same sort of way that their historical namesakes died, he has taken some action to avoid being stabbed in the heel. That's apparently something that Leonard Achilles needs to worry about, being stabbed in the heel. So how does he combat this? He wears metal boots. <laughs> I can't, metal boots, that can't be comfortable. They don't, I have to imagine that metal boots don't have a lot of give. But here's the thing, Green Arrow points out that what if that's what the killer wanted him to do? It's all part of his plan. Yes, he wanted Achilles to wear metal boots because he's placed an electrical panel in the floor underneath the carpet. And as soon as Leonard Achilles in his metal boots walks across it, zap, he's dead. And so as Green Arrow bends to remove the rug... To discover the metal plate, a bullet just whizzes through the open window over his head. He's bending the air, this bullet, zhading, right over his head. Very lucky. Green Arrow leaps to the window 
and opens fire. He fires a rope arrow, walking the line like a tightrope to the opposite building where a man with a gun flees. Speedy joins Green Arrow and they give chase. Well, look who's joining in the skunk hunt, Green Arrow says to Speedy. The skunk hunt. I catapulted up here just in time, methinks, which is <sighs> Speedy's clever reply. The gunman, in the meantime, has made it to another building, but before he can get any further, the two archers let loose, pinning the man to a pigeon coop. And as the guy, <laughs> as the guy is stuck to this pigeon coop with, you know, his freaking sleeves and his pant legs pinned to the wall by arrows, he says, them guys could thread a needle with an arrow. And so, with the thug being trapped, Green Arrow uses the opportunity to grill him. Turns out, believe it or not, the guy's name is Muggsy. And the mysterious murderer, who Muggsy calls the chief, commanded him to shoot, or as he put it, plug, Green Arrow, if he dared set foot in the club. Unfortunately, dear Muggsy has no idea who the chief is because he's always masked. He's always wearing that big floppy hat and the cloak and the mask. But not all is lost, however, because Muggsy announces that he's meeting the chief and the gang down at the hideout at five. And so they drop Muggsy off with the police and then Green Arrow disguises himself as the thug to infiltrate the gang. His disguise lasts about five minutes, maybe four. When the, I mean, he shows up to the club and he's like, hey, fellas, it's Muggsy. And then the, the chief says, all right, fellas, the next one who's going to die is Darcy. He's next. By the way, Muggsy's a traitor. And everybody's like, what? And they grab him and they go, and, and the, the mystery dude says, lift up his hand. I'm not doing his voice, am I? Lift up his hand. And there on his hand, his right hand, are all five fingers. Why is that a big deal? Because Muggsy only had four. And besides, once they wrestle him to the ground and take his hat off, they can see that he's still wearing his green arrow mask. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking there. Maybe if he kept the brim of his hat down low enough, they wouldn't notice the mask that he was wearing. And it, But it's... It it's a totally funny moment because it's it's like, let's see the man's hand. Look, he's got five fingers. Muggsy only had four. And then they pull off his hat. Look, he's still wearing his green arrow mask. Really? Uh, silly stuff. So anyway, they tie the green arrow to a chair and another thug arrives with Speedy, whom he found outside snooping around. And so with both of the wizard archers tied to chairs, our villain leaves, but not before turning on the gas, so that the two will be dead. Dead as William Tell, he says, by the time he returns. Green Arrow, not one to leave an opportunity wasted, fires off one last dig at our mysterious villain with a vicious, vicious, vicious line. We prefer the gas to your company. Ow! Dang, Oliver. Dang, man. He's getting real. And then it seems our heroes, they are having no trouble at all slipping loose of these ropes. Or at least they would, they wouldn't have any trouble slipping free of these ropes if it wouldn't be for the gas. The gas is making them weak and they can't slip free. So Green Arrow has an idea. He slips his right shoe loose with his left and he kicks it through the window. And like that, the gas is gone, and by the very next panel, they are back in the aeroplane, and Green Arrow is back in costume. I find it really odd 
that they they keep skipping over just these really big events. They're trying to, you know, squish this story into like maybe six pages. And so they skip over a lot of stuff. But the writer has to really point out certain things to us. Like, well, for example, how he was able to get his shoe loose. He makes it a point to let us know that he kicks off his left, his right shoe using his left foot. I don't really need to know that. I don't have to bend my imagination that far to understand how he gets a shoe loose and kicks it off of his foot. Now, how they then got out of the ropes and down to the aeroplane, that might have been something that he maybe wanted to kind of point out. But nope, too busy telling us how he got that shoe off of his foot. But now that they're free, they head to Darcy's home since our villain announced that Darcy was going to be next. When they arrive, they see smoke pouring out of an open window. And as Green Arrow once again uses the aeroplane seat catapult to launch him through that window, a second story window, he shouts out for the world to hear that the window has been left open so that the draft will feed the flames. Again, another really oddly specific detail the writer felt needed an explanation. I mean, did people just not leave their windows open back then? Is that a story detail that if he didn't explain that the villain left it open so that the 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 oxygen would feed the flames or whatever? If 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 the writer didn't leave that in, would people be taken out of the story? Well, that's not believable at all. Nobody left their second story windows open back then. And yet the writer needed to clarify. Maybe I don't know, maybe that was the case. Maybe for people living back in the 40s, somebody leaving a second story window open was super odd. So odd that it needed to be pointed out in this story. And again, the shoe thing. I don't know how they got out of those ropes and down to the car, but I find that believable. But how in the world did he get that shoe off of his foot? I'm taking this comic book and I'm throwing it in the trash. Very weird. Anyway, Green Arrow finds Darcy tied, standing up to his four-post bed, and frees him. Darcy, however, is concerned about Green Arrow's escape plan. They're trapped in a room, and they can't leap from the window, being on the second story and all. Green Arrow tells them not to worry. They won't be able to leap out. But they sure will be able to walk out. Because, see, here's the thing. Speedy's out there on the lawn, and he fires a series of arrows into the side of the house, creating a makeshift ladder for the two to climb down. And as they're climbing down, Green Arrow, again, with one of his witty comments, says, this is what they mean by the straight and arrow path. Ha ha! Ha 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 ha! Oh, ha! That Oliver Queen, he is so funny. Once out on the lawn and safe, Darcy tells the archers that Ezra Sampson is next on the list because he too received a threat. And so they arrive at Sampson's office to find him gagged and bound to a chair with a bomb at his feet. The bomb is one of those cartoony black globes with the burning fuse. And to defuse it, Green Arrow shoots the water cooler, which pours water all over the bomb, smothering it and dousing the fuse. Back at the apartment, Green Arrow examines the bomb, confident that it will provide a clue to the killer's identity. Speedy muses that the killer must be Amos Socrates, as he's the only one who hasn't been either killed or had an attempt on his life. Plus, he's tall. Make note of that. He's tall. Green Arrow is none too hip on Speedy's theory, but decides they should visit Socrates 
just in case. They arrive at the studio of Amos Socrates and peer in through the window from outside. Inside, they see that the mysterious villain is already there and is forcing Socrates to drink poison at gunpoint. He hasn't actually ingested any of the poison yet. He's just standing there with the gun. Drink the poison, boy! And Amos Socrates is, I don't want to drink that poison. Not to worry, though, Green Arrow fires two arrows into the room. One takes out the gun, the other takes out the cup. It's kind of funny, though, that the writer doesn't seem to be too concerned with explaining how Green Arrow got inside the room to fire the arrows. I mean, literally in the previous panel, he's outside looking in through a closed window. We need to know how he got his shoe off or why Darcy's window was open, but we shouldn't really concern ourselves with how Green Arrow fired off two arrows into a room from the outside through a closed window. Oh, well, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm out of here, cries our villain as the arrow knocks the gun from his hand. The next panel, we do see Green Arrow standing at the window, and all is explained. He's outside, but one of the window panes is missing. I don't know why one of the window panes is missing, there's not enough art to tell us if it's just open. There's just one of the window panes is missing. We know how he got his shoe off, but we don't know why this window pane is missing. And I find it maddening. It's also here that we see the masked villain running away. What you don't really notice, however, unless you're really looking for it, is there's an arrow sticking out of his calf. It's really hard to see. However, the text box tells us, as the mystery murderer flees, an arrow strikes him in the foot. This is very important. We'll find out why soon. In the very next panel, however, we see our villain pinned to the wall by arrows, just as Muggsy was earlier. We go from the villain fleeing right to him being caught with only a text box as, as an explanation, after a short chase, the masked man is cornered in a corridor, and in a brief moment, he is pinned to the wall by Green Arrow and Speedy. Seems like a bit of an exciting scene to just take out. We don't get to see any of it. I mean, I hate to keep pounding this dead horse. We know how he took his shoe off. We know why a window is open, but we don't get to see this. Seems a bit odd. The villain at this point is revealed to be Ezra Samson. But wait, Samson was a short dude, remember? And our villain is tall. Turns out, Samson is wearing stilts to make him taller. And that's why the arrow didn't harm him. Oh, I get it. That makes sense. And as we're coming to this conclusion, Samson somehow gets loose and jumps out a window, running away. We don't see how this happens. Just boom, he's out on the lawn running away. Try to take me, Green Arrow! Ha ha ha! That's what he's shouting as he's running across the lawn. We then get a three-panel car chase in which Green Arrow shoots out a tire on Samson's car while driving with his knees, mind you. They point that out. And then, well, <laughs> per the text box, Samson's car swerves crazily and then plunges over an embankment. A mass of twisted and tangled steel forms a coffin for the arch criminal. Wow, that's freaking dark. Now again, just so the writer can make sure that he explains everything, during the car chase, Green Arrow is telling Speedy in this three-panel car chase, did I, did I mention that already? Green Arrow is telling Speedy that he had deduced that Samson was the killer because he discovered that the bomb meant to blow Samson up had been filled with harmless powder. It was a fake bomb, meaning that the attempt on Samson's life was staged so that Green Arrow 
wouldn't suspect him. But hold on a minute. I, I'm a little confused here. Samson, as the masked killer, last left Green Arrow and Speedy tied up in a room filling with gas. Is Green Arrow saying that Samson knew they were going to get free? Is that why he set up a much more elaborate death for the two rather than just shooting them then and there? He's not above just shooting people in the back. He did it right away on the first page. It makes you think, right? Is that why villains set up these elaborate death plans? Because they know they're going to escape? Why else would he, why else would he stage his own death? Anyway, we learned that Samson, who was the treasurer of the history club, had been embezzling the club funds and planned on framing Socrates by making his death look like a suicide. The story ends with Green Arrow and Speedy back at their apartment. Green Arrow is placing the fake bomb in their trophy case, along with all their other souvenirs of past cases that they had cracked. A fake bomb, Speedy says, to close out our tale, but it ends the case of the namesake murderers. I always enjoy how back at this, this time, this era, all the cases had to have names. Then we get a panel showing an arrow going through some nameless thug's hand, forcing him to drop his gun and a text box that says, but other daring criminals will arise to add more trophies to the Green Arrow's collection. See the wizard archers combat another crime carnival next month. Very very dramatic. I uh, I enjoyed this story for what it was. The art wasn't great. I know that there was great art back then because C.C. Beck was amazing. He did those Captain Marvel books, you know, Shazam. I know there was good art back then. This did look a bit rushed. And of course, it was an anthology book. I think they were just pounding those out every day. Uh, the story was a bit silly, but it was you know, as a product of its time, I'm not going to give it a lot of crap. I, I had a lot of good laughs recording this. I had a lot of good laughs reading the book. It was all rather silly. And it is a far cry from the Green Arrow we have now, who is a, you know, a freaking billionaire, who is a huge liberal social justice warrior type of guy who hates the corporate fat cats. You know, big, big, big valley between this character and what Green Arrow will come to be. And from what I understand, they end up telling two different origin stories for Green Arrow. At some point, I think in the 50s, they tell one origin story. I don't remember what that's supposed to be. And then some years later, they tell the origin story that we, that the one they end up sticking to where he falls off the boat and he washes up on an island and he has to become skilled at archery to survive and all that stuff. And that's the one that they end up sticking with. So I got this book. This all started because I got this book through Comixology called Green Arrow, 75 Years. Celebrates Green Arrow and comics over the past 75 years. And it starts off with this first appearance. And I know that they're going to show both of those origin stories at some point in the book. So I think as I come across them, I will probably make episodes out of those as well. Because Green Arrow is, I, I'm a really big fan of, of the arrow that is green, the emerald archer. They don't mention the city that he's in in this first adventure. I found that kind of weird. That always seemed to be a staple of most superhero comics. It's not enough that there is a superhero. They have to have a city that they're tied to. And they don't mention a city at all in that story, which I found, again, kind of weird. So, yeah, I'm going to be reading more from this 75 Years of Green Arrow. And uh, 
you'll probably get a couple more episodes out of that. But until then, this is the end of episode 103. Remember, episode 105 is the end of season two. I'll be out for a month or two, and then I'll come back with season three. But until then, my name is Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Stay safe. Good job. Ooh.